and brightest day and blackest night. All other podcasts tremble in fright. Losers cower before the power. Oranges lust and blues you can trust. Indigos feel and white ones heal. Yellow scare and green ones dare. That sapphire love and black hands glove will rock your foundation without hesitation. Chad and Mars face evil's minds. Respect their power for they'll make you see the light. Hi, everybody. I'm Chad Vocalman. I'm Mark Marble. And I'm Dan Kurtzke. And this is the Lantern Cast. Episode 534. I'm not going to do it. Is somebody else going to do it? No one's going to do it for this issue. <laughs> oh. And with that, we're off to the races. <laughs> no time to waste on this. <laughs> Dan, go we have, for it. We have things to do. Let's wrap this up. <laughs> wow. Well, M- Mark is eager to talk about his the highlight of his week, really. So let's jump right into Green Lantern number four, written by Jeremy Adams with art by Zermanico, colors by Romulo Fajardo Jr. and letters by Dave Sharp. The title of this issue is Fast Friends. Sinestro confronts Hal in a diner and makes, you know, a request. Sinestro wants Hal's ring so he can use it to get off of Earth and escape capture by the United Planets. And in exchange, he won't blow up Coast City by detonating the three sonic bombs he's planted at strategic locations. Hal actually does hand over the ring, but Sinestro can't get it to work and even says that this isn't a lantern ring. With no other option, Sinestro triggers the bombs to cover his escape. Hal calls in Barry Allen, and the two combine their powers in an interesting way to track down each bomb before it can explode. There's no sign of Sinestro, but Barry does pay a visit to Ferris Aircraft and determines that Sinestro tampered with the drone jets. The investigation gets put on hold when Major Disaster attacks Los Angeles with the help of some alien tech that's amplifying his powers. Green Lantern and Flash make quick work of the situation and then sit down to talk about what's been going on with Hal and Carol. Hal recognizes that he isn't being fair to her, and Barry advises that he stop trying so hard to get her back and instead focus on just being the person she fell in love with in the first place. Meanwhile, back at Ferris Aircraft, the drone jets suddenly launch themselves right through the hangar ceiling, rocketing into the night sky. Then we've got a backup story written by Peter J. Tomasi with art by David LaFuente, colors by Tamara Bonvillain, and letters by Rob Lay. The title this time is Wayward Son, Part 1. A young Korrigarian named Korg is one of several homeless kids picking pockets for a lowlife named Nagaf. Uh, Korg's contributions have been lacking since he spends most of his time working on a yellow taser that he wears like brass knuckles. He calls it his fear fist, and as we see over the course of the night, Korg is fixated on the idea that he is in fact the son of Sinestro and intends to collect a sample of Sinestro's DNA to prove it. Ta-da! If you'd like to contact us. (laughs) So Mark, tell us why you hate this with every fiber of your being. Fair be fiber! But the entire issue? I don't, to be fair, let's let's start with the positives first. Let's try to be Glass one quarter full. (laughs) 
I didn't. I did like the Harry. The Harry. I did like the Hal Barry. Well, it could be. It could be split the names. It's a new thing. Like J Lo and Harry. No, it doesn't work. I always uh, thought they should date. Hey, give them time. I think that the Hal Barry stuff is good when they're working together. I think the actually I like the the Barry Carol interaction of Ferris Aircraft is cool and the heart to heart between Barry and Hal at the end where Hal's kind of like opening up about well you know he kind of like he he's trying to win her back but he but he knows he's not like you said you know he knows he's not being fair but so then it's like he's wondering whether it's even worth the whether he should try to continue to win her back because it's because it's not fair because even if everything gets back on track well at some point it's inevitable he's not going to be on earth and he's going to get called to do other stuff and i i did like all that stuff worked for me now the stuff that didn't work for me i hated the house and estro stuff it didn't seem natural it seemed weird. Howell seemed all too, way too willing to just roll over for Sinestro. I understand part of it, arguably, is because he was buying time to reach out to Barry, maybe, if you want to interpret it that way towards the end. But still, I didn't like that at all. I am getting, and we've talked about this last issue, I'm getting, it's losing me that now we're getting to the point where they continually are dragging out this bullshit, telling us what happened on Korrigar. All we got out of this issue is that we know what seemingly went wrong on Korrigar was not necessarily something Sinestro did himself, but what some members of the Sinestro Corps did. So that, but it still keep, keeps, it's like they keep giving us like half a breadcrumb every week, every month, every next installment. So I didn't like that. I didn't like the backup story at all. I mean, I... I know Chad has a different view on he's more tolerant of it for different reasons. I don't I didn't like the story all that much. I didn't like the art. And yeah, I don't I honestly I honestly would have rather have seen more of the main story than this. I think it would have been especially because of the pace that the main story is going at. It actually I, I really would have preferred to have more more meat on the bones than this. Maybe it'll turn out okay. I mean, I know it's Tomasi, so I think we're all gonna cut him a little bit of slack because it's Tomasi, but I didn't like the art. And I just, I, it didn't grab me immediately. And it, so nothing that really happened in the story kind of like changed my mind on my initial reaction. Yeah, that's fair. I just um, can kind of see what you mean uh, with the, with the Sinestro Hal conversation. And I, I agree with you to some extent that, that, uh, that conversation seems um, restrained um, in some ways. Um I, there's there's stuff I like about it though. You get the feeling that because it's not so explosive, it's these it's it's like two it's like two old west gunfighters who know each other so well that neither of them knows who's going to draw first, and even for that matter, if anybody's going to draw or what the situation they should draw under. That doesn't make sense. I it's just they they know each other so well that the there's no point in having a fist fight right here, right now there's violence and there's threatening, uh, threatening of violence rather with constructs and pointy swords and threats of bombs and stuff like that. But these two are just going to sit here and size each other up for a while. The other thing I find interesting about this conversation that they have is that Sinestro is surprised and interested in this new ring for 0.2 seconds. And it's almost and we can have a whole other conversation about this. I know that panel where he says pity is like it looks like he's being sarcastic or 
um, you know, little <laughs> mustache twisty, but I see pride on that face. And I don't know about you. Uh, I think he, I think he's like, I would expect nothing else of Jordan. Uh, and that's his mind immediately made that, that process. But, um, I agree with you on the Barry Howe stuff. It's great to see the Barry Carroll stuff was also really cool to see and unexpected. Um, I love the, I love the team up. I love the, for the need for the forensics there. Um, that's really cool too. Um, I love that she, Carol, you know, this is a plot point. If they wanted to inject it, they would have written in there. Carol immediately basically has no problem with Barry being there. Um, not just because she knows him or whatever, but she trusts him in a professional sense. This is the project that you know can at this moment in time, make or break, you know, Ferris aircraft. And, you know, she's not freaking out that Barry's there and is trusting him with quote unquote, her, her you know financial baby here so that's really cool that you know you see the actual conversation but there's there's subtext there that i actually really like as well the major disaster thing is cool because not only is it a team up between flash and hal so you can be like hey you know it's hal's on earth he's doing uh you know earthbound things he's teaming up with the justice league we also see you know earthbound villains that we haven't seen green lantern fight in quite a long time so we get that moment as well and i do kind of like though i don't necessarily buy it in the context of everything we've read before i appreciate Hal's self-awareness of the way he's been behaving around carol but when you put into context that he knows he's doing it while it's happening i don't i don't know how i feel about that um but I also really like uh, the idea that Sinestro's plan very likely somehow included major disaster. And that whole thing was a distraction. So he got his way either way, which I thought was cool. And we can talk about the sense and stuff later. <laughs> well, I don't necessarily think the major disaster thing had anything to do with Sinestro. I think he is, he is the latest in a string of villains in this run so far who are being supplied with alien technology, most likely by that that alien guild we saw operating out of Coast City that gave Sinestro all those goons and, and weaponry to storm Ferris aircraft. Yeah, I can see that. I, I can see that, too. And it, it, I guess part of the other thing with the Sinestro thing bothers me is just that it's like he's. He's stuck on Earth, and yet, but he—I guess he wouldn't necessarily know that a that a Green Lantern ring wouldn't get him off wouldn't wouldn't get him off of Earth. But yet, on some level, you would think—I don't know why he would necessarily think that it would if if the sector is being radically cut off and you're not supposed to use and, and no Green Lantern's really supposed to even be in the sector. That I, I don't know. I guess I guess I can I I can allow that. I can allow that lack of knowledge that he would think that, oh, all I need is any any old power ring will work so I can fly back to, which, of course, still doesn't explain why he's on Earth. Well, just to briefly interject there, I don't think he knows the conditions of the lockdown. I think you're applying knowledge you have as a reader that the Earth is under quarantine. (laughs) I think all he knows is Earth is under quarantine. Uh, I think he knows as much as actually slightly less than we do because we know that Hal's ring won't work beyond an atmosphere. We, we, we know sort of the, uh, from war journal as well. We know sort of a little bit more than him in terms of exactly how monitored, exactly how quarantined stuff like that 
Earth actually is. We're also assuming that the reason Hal can't leave the planet is because of something dealing with the quarantine. Like, we don't actually know why his ring failed and that is then true. turned back on. That is true. I mean, the thing that I find most interesting about Sinestro, well, well other than the fact that he kind of sidesteps the question about, hey, what happened to your ring? It's when he puts on Hal's ring and realizes right away that this isn't a lantern ring. And, I mean, he's right. It's it's Manhunter tech in the in the shape of a lantern ring. And I think that's going to end up being a, like the source of a lot of the weird shit that's happening with Hal's powers. Because in issue one, we like, we saw like he used the energy and, and material of a Manhunter suit to form this new ring. And ever since then, he's had abilities and limitations that don't make any sense to him. Yeah, that in- makes sense. In- including, and this is something I didn't pick up on until later, the fact that it'll only work for him. Because when, because I, I just sort of assumed that the reason he handed his ring over to Sinestro in the diner is because Sinestro couldn't use it. But then later on, when, when he's telling uh, Carol and Barry about that encounter, she says, like, did you give, you didn't give him your ring, did you? He, Hal said, I tried, but it wouldn't work. And then you look back on the scene where he actually tried and he has this moment of like there's a panel where he's just silent with his eyes closed and like a like like this like stern expression on his face. And then he hands the ring over. So it's like was was he choosing to give the ring up in that moment or like like I don't know at this point that kind of moment could be saying kind of anything about where Hal's mind is at with all of the, with He's basically been going through a midlife crisis since issue one. And it's, it's kind of fascinating to see the ups and downs of this roller coaster. Uh, something that I found really interesting is how Sinestro threatens to blow up Coast City to get what he wants. And then when Hal comments on how like, like, oh, you know, you're, you're coming in here and you're threatening to blow up the city, Sinestro gets legitimately upset at the insinuation that he wants to destroy the city. Like, he just wants to... He's kind of backed into a corner. He doesn't have his ring for some reason. He's cut off from everything. He's apparently on the run from the United Planets. And he just wants to get get what he wants so he can go home. And he's got no clout or leverage or favors he can call in anymore. And like, so like this kind of petty extortion is what he's left with and it infuriates him. It is, it is an interesting, it is an an interesting view on where, of where Sinestro is, because once again, we even get a reference point again in this, uh, in this issue about the Legion of Doom. About hey the the Legion of Doom can't help you get off this planet and they're like uh let's not talk about the Legion. <laughs> it's like they just had a fire sale everything went. I don't know it's so I think, but it's still I'm, I I just don't see this really as my as my Sinestro so much so and this again there's so much but we're we're kind we're kind of drifting a little bit into and I hate to say this but we're we're we're, we're ever so we're walking that fine line where we might be getting. 
We might be Jeffrey thorning this a bit too much, but we're kicking the can down the road too much to give you some meat in this story. It may start really rubbing people the wrong way if we if we don't start getting some serious payoff. And I don't know if, you know, just a just a little throw. It's not a throwaway line because it's important, but in the course of what happens in the story, it is a throwaway line because it really has no it has nothing to do with what's happening in this issue. But the idea of getting just a little teeny nut, it's like a it's like a one thousand piece jigsaw puzzle, and this and they just throw us like you know piece number twenty five, and they just keep giving us like two or maybe if we're lucky we get two or three pieces of every new pieces every every episode every issue excuse me and we and they uh and we have to try to figure out what the puzzle actually is what the pit what is gonna what is gonna make when it when all is said and done i so, think the, the so, real problem here is that the there's basically three tiers of things going on at once there is the state of hal's life on earth there is the whatever happened out in space before hal came back to earth and there is whatever is the overarching storyline of this run going to be and the choice has been made to focus primarily on Hal's life on earth first and drop breadcrumbs of the other two until we get to a point of if not resolution just like a new level of of Hal's life on earth and I mean honestly I I love that we're getting to focus on his earth life because that's something that has been sorely missing from Green Lantern for so many years I can't even remember. But it is frustrating that they keep dancing around the information that is on the tip of everybody's tongues. Like last issue, I was I was convinced that this time we would get some like hard answers, if not about everything, then about some things, just because when it comes to what happened on Korrigar, Hal and Sinestro probably know everything about it and i mean i to a degree i can understand like they wouldn't in a natural conversation they wouldn't do exposition at each other about something that they were both in the room for originally but like you would expect more details to come out even Mm -hmm. in, in even if it's just in like a, a an emotional outburst from Hulk since he's clearly so pissed off. But yeah, well, the I think they did give us something, uh, and I 100% admit that this is more on rocky ground than some of the other stuff that we've talked about with regards to you know the Kilowog theory um, specifically. But I think it's still worth it. This one panel with the construct sword is where we get our information. After what your soldiers did on Korgar, we'll never be on better terms again. And that's how Sinestro says brash and delusional as always, Jordan. And then let me put this in terms you can understand. And then the conversation goes on. Sinestro and Hal's relationship is not usually such that Sinestro is your atypical villain who would Look, he's a villain. He's going to accomplish, do whatever he can to accomplish his goal. That's, that's the comic book logic. But when I apply the relationship, I believe these two have beyond just your typical superhero, supervillain, Sinestro lying to Hal so boldly, uh, and sitting there and smiling and smirking in Hal's face after what we think 
he did or is responsible and specifically calling how delusional that gives me pause because it gives me a side I didn't think about. Okay, Kilowog, in our theory, Kilowog is dead. And Sinestro or somebody connected to Sinestro is the one who did it or is responsible somehow for the death. So what if that is the reveal, but Hal's wrong and Sinestro didn't do it, Hal did it, or somebody else? The, the, the idea of that story being correct from Hal's perspective is not something I was considering when bubbling up the idea uh, from a few hints here and there. Well, I think it could just simply be, again, first of all, the Sinestro and Hal don't exactly see the world uh, from the same point of view to begin with. So this doesn't mean it doesn't mean that the, the actual physical events happened, did not happen. But but from Sinestro's perspective, that it's not his fault or his the Sinestro Corps' fault that whatever happened, happened. He could be simply shifting the blame, saying the Green Lantern Corps is involved. If they, they're the ones who caused this. Or maybe even Kilowog himself did something that he shouldn't have done. And basically, he's the one who tipped the domino over. And that's the reason why things played out. It's not necessarily that it could be. But I, I certainly I, did, I didn't take it where, oh, Hal's, if Hal, especially if we assume, which we are supposed to believe, I think, based on everything we've gotten so far, that Hal was actually on Korrigar himself. It's not that somehow Hal caught walked in at the last minute and missed everything else that came before it's just that there could be an element of not having quote-unquote all the facts from sinestro's perspective but it could just be in interpreting the facts differently and sinestro is just simply saying well if you didn't if you stayed off a of corridor to begin with this never would have happened as a, or if you just didn't do this then this never would have happened so i think it could just be as simple as that too i just uh, it and I'll let you talk here in a sec, Dan, but it, I just feel like maybe I'm ascribing more purpose to the choice of words and to the certain things that we see from Zermanico and in, in Zermanico's art and expressions that he uh, chooses to put on people. But I, I don't know, man. I just, I see more um, intent and look, I don't, I don't want to stroke the guy's ego, but a little more elegance in the choice that Adams is putting into the words that he's having each character use. And, and, and that same intent is being ascribed to Zermanico's pencils. And I feel like there's, I feel like there's more intent behind each panel than I would typically see in something else. I feel this building and I'm not trying to, you know, uh, make deities out of these creators kind of like I, you know, do with some other creators on the show, but I I just see more intent in that. And I don't, I don't know why, but I feel like that word choice of delusional means something. I mean, something that I think is absolutely true about Sinestro and Hal's relationship is that they're, they're basically always completely honest with each other. And maybe that comes from the fact that they're both such like, such like accomplished green lanterns that like they, they're direct, they're to the point, they have no reason to hide anything. So, like, I believe that it, that regardless of any of the context, yeah, Sinestro would sit down at a diner next to Hal and talk about something. And, like, whether or not they go back outside and start fighting is kind of irrelevant. Like, as, you know, as, as Marco remind us at every chance he gets, Sinestro and Hal 
are and always were friends, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and and like I love I love the dual meaning of the title of the story, Fast Friends, which is positioned, as you'll see on page one, right below Sinestro and Hal sitting at the diner, like the buddies they are. But yeah, I mean, I think the most, well, maybe not the most, I think a very kind of emotionally satisfying in a gut punch sort of way, like, I mean, or like the most interesting way this could possibly probably go is Hal and Kilowog and maybe some other lanterns went to, to Korrigar, Sinestro and or Sinestro soldiers did something that then forced Hal to make a tough call. And as a result, someone died. And like that, that would actually make a lot of what Hal's going through make more sense if it wasn't just, oh, a bad thing happened. If it was, oh, I, it happened because of me. Like even if other people were involved, my hands are dirty because I am ultimately the one that did this. I'm not saying like, oh, Hal Jordan murdered Kilowog or whatever, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I I just I don't think like Sinestro. If there's one thing in this issue that I think supports what you're saying, Chad, is the how intensely uncomfortable Sinestro is with the way he's being forced to operate just to get something simple that he's used to having access to all the time. He he hates having to extort Hal like this. Because he this is beneath him. This is not how he works. Just like how he hated the fact that he went to that Laring Guild a couple issues ago, flaunted his Legion of Doom cred, only to have it shoved back in his face because the Legion of Doom got wrecked in Dark Crisis and their word doesn't mean anything anymore. Yeah. <laughs> also, um, also, it kind of bothers me that Major Disaster shows up and nobody kind of mentions that he was ever reformed and a member of the Justice League. Like, I know his Green Lantern and Flash were John and Wally, but still, it's like, I feel like that should kind of come up any time he shows up as a villain now. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, overall, I mean, I thought it was a great issue. Art art was fantastic, as always. Um I think uh, I think it was uh, really nice to have a Brave and the Bold team up. Um, it was a fun issue, I thought, in that regard. the The logics behind the 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 sorry the physics behind whatever Hal and Barry are trying to do with him running with his shield are beyond me. But it does feel very much like a the Flash TV show <laughs> type logic in science. Uh, of a plan where it's like, oh, that's just, yeah, sure, why not? <laughs> um, it's, it's very Silver Age. It's very like, <laughs> yeah. I I read about something in a book once, and now it's it's how a superhero stops a bomb from destroying a city. Exactly the the writers the writers in the Silver Age, uh, um, you would like to think that they were fans of the Space Age and stuff like that because they're writing comic books, but likely some of them just kind of read the newspaper every day and. Uh, Oh, I heard this word mentioned in the science section. Uh, I'll go ahead and uh, use it in the next script I'm using for Green Lantern <laughs> with having no understanding of the concept that they just read. <laughs> yeah. Last thing I want to bring up about this section is the relationship advice, because I find it I find yeah. it really interesting that Barry is a is initially 
suggesting that Hal do what Hal has already been doing. And that kind of position that puts Hal in a position to be like the counter argument to the point. So like, like, yeah, it is kind of messed up that like, Oh yeah, on some level he knows he shouldn't be doing this kind of thing. But it also like this, the fact that this is the first time he can openly talk out loud to another person about this is kind of like, it's, it's helping him kind of talk through it. And once Barry hears that, he, he helps steer Hal in a better direction. Like Hal acknowledges that, that he's been acting kind of petty and this isn't really fair to Carol. And, and Barry is like, okay, well then stop, you know, it's, instead of focusing on getting her back, just be the person that she fell in love with and see if it happens again, you know? And like, if, if nothing else, if we take nothing else forward from this issue, that's the big thing, you know? You know, what's interesting. This, this uh, conversation, uh, this specific conversation about the relationship for sure, but their entire conversation from the moment they start interacting, this is the first time we've ever had a peek and decide what is happening in Hal Jordan's head in this series. We've mostly seen him just be reacting to things uh, or being caught up in specific situations. We haven't had him except for maybe that conversation with uh, Ghost Kilowog, which is what I'm going to call him, uh, in that wife beater and jeans out by the RV at sunrise. Like this is the this is the most we've seen how talk uh, and give us any clue as to what is going on inside his head. And I'll retract a little bit of my statement earlier about it being a bit of creepy that he kind of knows that what he's doing, because frankly, myself, I just started thinking about it in a personal sense. And there have been plenty of times where I've done something. And then the moment I absolutely knew it was wrong, but I did it anyways. Um, so, you know, I can't, I can't begrudge him, uh, you know, that common human thing we all have to learn from, but like circling back to it, this is the most we've been let inside his head because he has nobody to talk to. He has had this one moment. Someone asked him a direct question, not expecting anything of him. And the dam has burst. <laughs> it's not yeah, like he's I mean, sobbing up there or anything, but like he, the, he look at this just torrent of words that comes out of him in this conversation. <laughs> yeah. And this whole issue is a case of, you know, you, you let him spend time with his best friend and he's suddenly free to be vulnerable. Like even you can even see some of that in like in the the bomb defusal the whole deal when Hal openly admits that he is struggling to keep up, you know, and and I honestly think that might say more about the uh, the kind of screwy limitations of his ring than it I does thought that, about yeah, him. I thought I thought that too. I thought I thought I thought it, at the very least it was his lack of confidence in what the ring could do and versus what it couldn't do. Yeah, but I mean, I think I think this is going to matter in a big way in the future. Just the fact that hey, was that ring actually made of, and was it even supposed to be able to do versus what is how forcing it to do through sheer force of will? But like this is a Hal Jordan who's not putting on a show for anybody. And we haven't seen that person yet in this series until right now. And because it's Barry, 
Hal can admit when he's he's hitting his limit and he can be honest with like give an honest look at his own his his own thoughts and actions when he's not trying to to give himself the same vague hopeful motivation that kind of just keeps him running in circles and god i wish he was hanging out with friends more yeah for sure if uh if we didn't have anything else i did want to circle back to your point mark about um being frustrated with this series in terms of reveals i mean they're of varying sizes but typically speaking and this is a very Obviously, uh, not fun way to think, but I think it's the reality of the situation these days and that we have to consider. There's typically six issues in a trade paperback. And technically, this is our issue six. If we put, uh, you know, the Night Terror stuff within there in terms of the amount of story we've had with this character so far. What is the story of this trade? If we were to put the six issues we have so far in a trade, what is the story of this trade? There's no villain conclusion. There's no mystery conclusion. There's no romantic conclusion. And we're not even close to any of those. So I think it's more than fair. Yes, we have to consider, you know, what the corporate parents want with regards to their summer crossover or whatever. And it's not, you know, Adams's fault or Zermanico's fault or anything like that. That's very likely true. And we have to account for it. It doesn't matter. The reader's experience is six issues and still very little to no answers. I think, I think this book has a better idea of where it's going, even though, you know, we're not seeing, we're not seeing that blueprint, but I think there's a more coherent logical blueprint that, Adams is working with than what Thorne was working with and not this crazy three-year plan. And I say crazy because you you can't, it's nice to have goals, but you can't just, Oh, we're going to, we're going to at least go a full year before we get like a third of the answers to what I want to tell you. And basically that's how we're going to do it. It's like, we're going to just leak this stuff to you over time because he's, he was, he's smart enough to know the industry, even if you don't have massive changes in, regimes and and initiatives that unless you're one of the big name writers you're not going to be guaranteed three years on a book like if morrison wanted three years on the book he would have gotten three years on the book but almost no one else is going to be guaranteed that so i do think adams is approaching this better and i do think because we're getting good characterization i think it helps it helps me but i i think i still been looking forward to this book and, and i think i started feeling this frustration I know we all talked about it last issue, but I started, I felt a little, I felt a little of it last issue. And now we get into this issue and you really expected the stuff with Hal and Sinestro that to be more significant than a couple of pages in the beginning of the book. And then boom, Sinestro has gone. And, and it's like, are we just like the hint? It's like, Oh, we know Sinestro did something to the planes, which I guess, I mean, that's like a captain obvious thing. I mean, we all know he did something to the planes to begin with, or else why would he have ever been there? in uh what the way he did and how that scene ended uh the last the last issue or whatever so i don't i don't know i think i think we do need some payoff and it but it, it does remind me of the thorn run too how it's getting we're, we're at the halfway point like you said even looking at a year of of stories and we don't really know where this is going yet and we don't even know when we're going to get answers to the majority so many so many things need to be answered and again 
we know this stuff is coming. We know we're going to find out about the about what the hell's going on with the United Planets. So that was like that was like the highlight of the book, which we completely didn't talk about when Hal pretty much said, "Well, f the United Planets." <laughs> <laughs> That's why Hal's my best Green Lantern, baby. <laughs> but everything else, yeah, I think it's just, I it's good. But when when the best part of the book has nothing to do with Sinestro and Hal, but all has to do with Barry and arguably that Carol and Barry stuff was more was more satisfying than the Sinestro stuff. I mean, the best page in the issue was the splash page of Barry running to answer Hal's call. I mean, I think in terms of of the trade waiters experience, this is either going to be an eight issue trade or they're just going to stick the two Night Terrors issues in a Night Terrors collection and just have the Green Lantern number one through six. Um, you know, I was thinking about it and I was trying to figure out why I'm more frustrated with not getting answers in this book than I am in other stories because I like, I like mysteries. I like figuring out stories that are puzzles along the way. But there's something different about this one. And I think what it, what I finally kind of realized is that we're following a character who already has all of the answers and just doesn't feel like saying them out loud. So it's not like it's not like Hal is on a journey of discovery with us. He he knows everything and we're trying to catch up, but can't until the story decides to to tell us about it if that makes any sense i think that's perfect that's good that's the, a perfect way of describing it it's not like where this is a mystery where we don't know what happened because the character is trying to figure out what happened that we find the pieces out as they find the pieces out and vice versa and that's and our only knowledge based about even what we're looking for is based on the prism of what they're finding or how they started on this journey yeah, like honestly, it, it, it would probably be a more narratively satisfying outing if the main character of this arc was Carol instead of Hal, because then we would be getting it from the perspective of someone who is like deeply emotionally tied to what's happening just by virtue of Hal being involved with it. And she would have a motivation to get him to open up about it and try and like piece it all together. Well, this it's it's interesting. The POV of this series, now that you bring it up, is it's almost like a third person narrative. We do see the occasional like internal monologue uh, narrative bar here and there. But much I mean, exactly like you said, we don't learn about anything typically speaking, unless they say it. So, yes, the story, the, the the name of the series is Green Lantern. And you see Hal Jordan a lot of the time, but Hal's not necessarily the POV character of Green Lantern. You're watching this all from a largely third-person perspective, which is interesting in a comic book. Especially in the context of so many years of the Jeff Johns run, where every single issue started with a uh, a text box that said, I'm Hal Jordan, officer of the Green Lantern Corps, Sector 2A14.1. Today I had a cheese sandwich and now this worm's going to eat me. Like whatever. Like we're firmly in his head all the time. Yeah, that's definitely interesting. Good, good thought. All right. The Sensen backup. Yes, which uh, I am so happy that they seem to have ditched the name Sinsun. Like that was like, like a placeholder. 
I don't know. I don't know that they've truly ditched it or not. Well, well, they, well, I mean, the cover said Wayward Son, and like the title is Wayward Son Part One. Yeah, well, I think he's he's still gonna go by the name Sinsen is the thing, right? Uh, we'll see. But like, so my initial frustration with this this series uh, or this little backup here was the whole, you know. The 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 idea that Tomasi had said, nope, that's not it. He's not Sinsen because he's Sinestro's son. Uh, and then being frustrated that that's exactly what it is in in a sense. It, it, whether whether he's pretending to be Sinestro's son or is, there's it's equally ridiculous in different ways. But then I did some research, and I can't find that quote online from Tomasi. So I heard that secondhand it, it, and on the internet. So that may as well not be worth its weight in gold at all. But so putting that aside, I could look at it for what it was. This story is not for me. By that, I don't mean I didn't like it. By that, I mean I'm not the target audience for this story. It is connected two lanterns in a way which is why it's the backup of the green lantern title and not something else but this is very clearly trying to capture a super sons type of storytelling that tomasi also was responsible for maybe slightly kiddier uh I, if i'm remembering that series correctly super sons but um I don't find fault in it because I'm not the target audience. I think if I were to put myself in the position of the target audience, I think this is good. I do think even at that idea, the art is still a little more childish than I would think someone of that, what I'm imagining the target audience being. Uh, This would maybe be more than a little more childish for their tastes, but I'm, you know, I'm 36. What the hell do I know about what kids that age want to see in their art? So, yeah, I just uh, I don't know. Um, letting go of things I couldn't corroborate on my end uh, and putting myself in mind of what their target audience likely is. I don't necessarily have a problem with this, but I don't think I personally will be following it to its ongoing series. <laughs> yeah, this is. Like, this is the, like, just based on the, I guess, overall production value, I think this is a short story that I would like better if you handed it to me in a collection of all the chapters once it's done. Because, like, like I think the, the art is really cool, and I, I honestly really love the the title page, because it, it has, like a, like a movie poster quality to it in terms of its design and the color and everything. It's just like really cool. And the, the more cartoony art style and all the vibrant colors keep this story from being as bleak as it otherwise would be. I guess the, the, the biggest problem with this is that in my mind, the most interesting thing they could possibly do with this backup story is the opposite of what they're probably going to do. Like, I think Korg's story would be so much more interesting if he ends up not being related to Sinestro at all. And he's just, he's just this kid that, that focuses and obsesses over this fantasy to make his life more tolerable. 
Like he wants to believe that that there's something special about him and that he has a chance of ascending out from the bottom of society. And I don't know necessarily where you even take that in this short story or an ongoing story that it's, I guess, going to spin out into. But I don't know. The idea of the idea of Sinestro having a random child out there that he didn't know he had it could have potential but i don't know why you introduce that now considering everything else that is or is not or could be happening with sinestro and all of the the cast of characters that are usually revolving around him mark i don't know what to say about this uh I kind of, in all honesty, I, I think you're going to, and that, on this level, you're going to get what you want. I don't think he, I don't think he is going to be related to Sinestro. I think, I think best case scenario, scenario for him, he's going to siphon off some of Sinestro's blood and do some kind of, some Dr. Frankenstein experiment where he connect, where he basically injects it into himself. And so he, so DNA wise, now he is, now he actually has, you know, he can claim to be uh, Sinestro's son or whatever because, hey, look, you can do a DNA test and look, it matches Sinestro. I, I would know. love to know how he thinks he's going to walk up to Sinestro and jab him with that that needle gun. Yeah, Sinestro is kind of a kind of a bum these days, so maybe you never know. <laughs> Trade him a sandwich <laughs> or, or or a fake Green Lantern ring that has like a like it has a button cell battery and lights up. Maybe you'll have that one second where you can jab him in the ass. I don't know. I maybe the second part of the story will be more will be more interesting to me. But this unfortunately is following the following the uh, the Night Terror Sinestro story, which sucked, but looks like uh, it's looks like War and Peace compared to this one. So I don't know. Do do we know how many parts this backup supposed to be? Too many. I don't know. I really don't know. <laughs> it depends on, I think, the release date for Sinister Sons, because they've already solicited it at this point, haven't they? At oh, least I don't think one. so. I didn't notice. Maybe they did. Yeah. Also, that title is plural, so I wonder who this kid's going to be linking up with. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I think it's supposed to Yeah, Sinister Sons. I think, well, I know they've talked about it. They're not allowed to talk about it things usually until the first issue is solicited, right? I don't know. I mean, this they probably had leeway since this is technically the start of it. Okay. Then I would wouldn't be surprised if it was like a a war journal thing, three and out. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Hey, who knows? It could get good. You know, it kind of. It's been a long time since I've read it, and I only read it once. Uh, it kind of gives me Larfley's feelings, the Larfley's backup. <laughs> Slightly, I mean, just a different tone, maybe different audience by a couple of years, but uh, it did it did sort of feel like those Larfley's backups before Larfley's went into its own series because the tone did change slightly once it became its own series. Were the backups because the the series was. It was a little it was it was uh, not afraid to be a little goofy. I don't yeah. remember the backups were also had that kind of like that uh, funny tone to them. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, no, the backups, those were in Threshold, right? The Threshold backups. Well, yeah, I, th- I think I think that might be right. Yeah. You guys should really cover Threshold. No, we did uh, cover Threshold. That was yeah. practice. Cover it for uh, real. 
no, I actually, I, I actually really like that episode because of the whole, uh, Halloween intro and everything else we did there. Because I remember finding the old clip of, um, uh, us like teasing that it could be a Halloween episode or something. And, uh, like putting spooky music over that. I, I really liked uh, how we did that episode. I thought that was fun. That could be your Halloween tradition. Cover threshold every year. <laughs> then the then the trick is on us. <laughs> that's never fun. Yeah, but that's a treat for me. <laughs> we can do a commentary track. <laughs> oh, God. Imagine threshold the D- direct-to-DVD animated feature. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, I want it so much now. <laughs> Oh, God. All right. Anything else we want to say about uh, Green Lantern number four tonight? Ah, I hope I hope Hal hangs out with more of his friends soon. <laughs> yeah, Barry's supposed to be in the next issue, too, isn't he? Oh, I don't know. I think he is. Um. Then there's also that whole Red Lantern thing. I'm so mad at that solicitation. <laughs> it's, ridic- it's ridiculous to me, too, that there has been absolutely... No hint whatsoever of a of a red lantern ring in here. So like when they talk when they talk about the fact that that's supposedly in the solicit text for one of the upcoming issues, is it next issue or the issue after? Oh god. Five, uh, isn't it? It has to be five, yeah. Yeah. So the fact that next issue we're gonna have a red lantern ring out of nowhere, uh supposedly, um it is damaging to the idea that we're even trying to figure out where this story is going next because there's been no hint of a red lantern ring ring they're going to throw us a fucking curveball that's going to come completely out of left field um in the very next issue that we have had zero hints towards whatsoever (laughs) well it and to make it possibly worse it'll make perfect sense in the context of the things that they won't tell us. (laughs) There you go. That'll be fun. Tell me what's happening in your book. No, but I (laughs) want to enjoy the book. No, Um, please. I like comic books. No. And any ring in any, any ring in the storm for Sinestro. This could have been a good opportunity to give us the Phantom ring back. But yeah. is there is there ever really a good opportunity to bring the Phantom Ring back? <laughs> it wasn't that was not so bad. Uh, so you can make the, you can make a case the concept behind the Phantom Ring was stupid. That, hey, let's. What if you had no you didn't need any skills or abilities at all, but you just wore this ring, you could still tap into the emotional spectrum. <laughs> but no, I do I like though that, that that was sort of like a the ring warrior you sort of thing that 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 it taps into the emotional sp- spectrum, but it's mainlining off the most sensitive switch. Like the moment you look on the uh, you know someone else's has a hundred dollar bill and you go, it would be nice if I had that hundred dollar bill myself. You immediately tap into the full strength of the avarice spectrum, and they're driven absolutely wild because it seemed like there was a hair trigger of oh, yeah. whatever emotion the Phantom Ring would choose, and then you would just be mainlining that the moment you even had a thought related to that emotion. Yeah, it's kind of crazy <laughs> how many early Ring prototypes had zero safeguards before they figured it out. Yeah. <laughs> Huh. All right. Well, if uh, if people are reading Green Lantern and think they know something about what's wrong with the Green Lantern Corps, where do they find stuff out about that, Dan? Well, thank you for that Chad segue. Uh, <laughs> you will go over to Mosaic Comics. 
on YouTube and and as Chad just pointed out, I I posted a a thoroughly thought out breakdown on the structural problems of how the Green Lantern Corps has always operated and what core pillars need to be changed and in some cases outright replaced in order to keep the exact same problems from happening over and over and over again like they always have. And, you know, I won't say too much here. The explanation involves a lot of pizza, is what I'll tell you. Uh, and if that doesn't intrigue you, you're probably right. But watch the video anyway over on Mosaic Comics. It is, it is uh, titled How to Fix the Green Lantern Core. And hopefully by the time this episode goes up, there will be even more good stuff there for you to see, which I'm not going to talk about yet, because if I do, it definitely won't be done in time. <laughs> but uh, that's okay, because there's there's like three years worth of videos there. So go nuts. And if you like it, subscribe. And Mark, if people want to reach out to us, what do they do? Ray, Lanterncast, <laughs> Lanterncast at gmail.com. Website is Lanterncast.com. You can follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, hashtag GeoCast. Every time I read this, it makes me want to laugh now. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, No Stitcher, Podbean. Last but not least, if you'd like to leave us a text or a voicemail, 708 Lantern, and let us know what you think. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Good night. Good night, everybody. Good night.